Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Bianca Bauman, Director of Learning Experience at GP Strategies. Bianca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your career in L&D. Yeah, I I always knew that I wanted to be in L&D. So straight after high school, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I started studying Master of Business Education, so which is a mix between Master of uh, Adult Education and an MBA. And yeah, ever since I've been in the industry and I have had the pleasure of working with a lot of uh, marketeers in the past. So I learned a lot from them. And that really made a difference on how I approach, how I design and how I facilitate. And uh, because in the end, I realized marketers and L&D professionals have the same goal, which is engaging our audiences. So that's, again, big, big impact on my life. And so I've been in the industry more than 15 years now. I love to go to different conferences, share my experience and expertise with people in the field and uh, learn from them as well. And uh, yeah, I have been with GP a little over a year now, year and a half, and I'm leading the design and development team here at GP Canada. Excellent. So let's get into our topic for today, which is the modern learner and learning experience design. So first, who or what is the modern learner? Yeah, great question. I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, Burson and Deloitte's modern learner infographic. And if you're not, Google it. But it does talk about that the modern learner is quite distracted and overwhelmed and impatient. And I got to say, I don't actually agree with that 100% because, you know, I think everyone would feel that way if they're put in front of bad piece of training. So, but I think what the modern learner uh, really is or what we see is that they don't necessarily sit in an office anymore, right? They work from home or they work from a coffee shop or, you know, those social working spaces. So basically they are untethered. And that is why, you know, they also don't necessarily have that nine to five fixed working hours anymore. And I think that is what we have to keep in in mind when we now think about training, because how they access training becomes uh, or changes because they're looking for training on on demand more than anything else. And they also wanted to access it when the moment of need arises. Right. So we have to be flexible enough to cater to that. And uh, when I think of modern learner, of course, I also think of smartphones, right? They play an important role here as well. And yeah, they want to access training on the go or while they wait for the bus or the grocery line. On the other hand, I think, you know, we, we shouldn't just focus on that piece of technology because they also look for a lot of collaboration opportunities. And that's where that social learning aspect really comes in. And If employees are at a physical company, we can easily create these opportunities, although often clients feel a little hesitant to build these aspects into their training programs because, well, they aren't easily measured, right? Or maybe a better way to say is like you you have to measure them differently and really focus on that engagement and sentiment. So when I think of the modern learner, I think about the importance of engagement 
with them. And uh, yeah, it's also for me, lastly, that skills are changing so much right now, right? We think about the half-life of skills as what, two to four years. So the modern learner continuously wants to learn and stay relevant. So again, we have to find ways to build the learning into the workflow and just make it easy for them to access the training when they need it. Okay. So there's, there are a lot of challenges built into helping the modern learner learn things. And the other piece of this is learning experience design. Now, in a piece that you wrote for trainingindustry.com, you say that, and I'm quoting it here, you say, combining user experience design and learning content leads to learning experience design. So let's unpack that. So, so what is learning experience design exactly? And how is it different than a traditional instructional design model? Yeah, for me, the main difference is that in learning experience design or LXD, you might have seen that as well, is that we really focus on that learner journey and we want to ensure that it's enjoyable and engaging and relevant and, of course, informative. And if you compare that to the traditional instructional design, for me, LXD is much more user centric and it looks at the learning as a holistic experience. So, again, if we go back to that modern learner, it's not just that one time event like we're putting you in front of a 15-minute e-learning module and after you're an expert in, you know, whatever the content was about. But it's really a journey. It's an experience. It's multiple touch points that we have to look at. So, for example, what uh, LXD does, it leverages the concept of learner personas. So instead of just performing a very basic needs analysis where we kind of get an idea of our target audience and who they are, we actually build these personas that are fictitious characters that basically describe our ideal learner. So usually you have like three to five and it really helps you cater your content towards that persona. So it becomes much, much more relevant, right? And uh, in addition for me, what I would look at when I think of LXD is the content curation, situated learning, data and analytics, and, you know, whatever's technology enabled on top of that. And I think especially the data piece is so important. Traditionally, we look at our smile sheets after, you know, someone completed a training and either it was good or bad, but often we don't have the time anymore to make any changes. Training is over, right? So we have to become a little bit more proactive and use predictive data and analytics to really understand what our learners are looking for. So for me, that's a, that's a big shift from traditional to learning experience design. So, you know, it's not that we should completely change what we're doing as instructional designers. There's a lot of skills that we bring to the table, but we got to add a couple of additional tools into our toolboxes to make sure we can meet the needs of the modern learner. Okay. So there's a lot going on there. And I mean, two important things that I take away from what you just said is that this new kind of learning design that you're, that you're describing, uh, learning experience design, it's customized for individual types of learners, one, and it's, you use the word learner journey. So it's, and like you said, it's not just something that happens once a year or a couple times a year in a classroom. This is an ongoing, continuous thing, more or less whenever the learner needs or wants it. 
Absolutely. It's that, you know, we have different moments of needs when we you know, need to access content, when we need to access performance support to help us do a task in our daily jobs, in our routine, really, right? So if you think about sitting in a training program for a day or two, and then you go out into the job and you don't really repeat or you don't have access to that content anymore, and then six, eight weeks later, you're asked to perform a task that you learned six to eight weeks ago, well, chances are pretty high you don't know, right? So in this moment of need, you would want to go onto an intranet site or, you know, just read an article or watch a quick video, whatever it is. So thinking about those multi-touch points throughout is extremely important. Now, you mentioned content and specifically content curation, mm -hmm. which is which is important, right? The In order for this sort of on-demand learning to work, there has to be something to learn. There has to be content that people can access or pull up. Mm -hmm. So where is that content coming from? Or what, what do you mean by content curation? Right. So content curation, as the word says, you usually you know go out and curate content that already exists. And I know that often clients feel that we should create content from scratch all the time because certain processes or certain mechanisms might be quite specific for a client. And I do agree to an extent. On the other hand, if you think about, let's say, leadership training, yes, there's some very you know, specific elements for each organization, but the basics, the foundations are the same, right? We're talking about building trust, for example, right? Respect, things like that. So instead of creating the content in-house and writing this from scratch, you could go out and curate content that other people have already created, right? And you can either use a technology platform to help you do that, or you just simply do it manually, right? So there's different ways of doing that. Mm -hmm. And is there a kind of middle ground where you can find content that already exists and then customize it for your particular needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is really where we should be going because I do agree, right? Whatever is out there might not 100% fit a certain organization's needs. And that's where that customization piece comes in. But think about that workload that all of a sudden has been taken off your plate because instead of creating 100% of your content, you now only create, I don't know, 20 to 25% maybe. And that time that frees up now, you can use that for other things too. For example, Example, create a learner journey, right? And focus on other pieces and make sure it's a really unforgettable learner experience. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, for, for organizations that want to adopt this learning experience design model, how do they get there? Assuming that you're starting from zero, right? What steps do you need to take to transition into that, this mode of learning that we've been discussing? Mm -hmm. For me, it's very closely related to design thinking. And so the first step is always to discover, right? So what's actually in front of me, meaning you have to understand the learner, assess their needs. And this goes beyond that target audience analysis. We already mentioned it earlier, those learner personas. We're really talking about empathy here, right? And again, learner personas help with that. How might we statements just to get a deeper understanding of 
who is my target audience? Discover would be the first step. The second step is that you would define. And what that means is like, I'm defining that actual training program in more detail. Now that I have my target audience and I have a better understanding of their needs, what is actually, what are the problems that I'm trying to solve for them and how can my training program help me solve that, right? And then from there, you can now match your content. And that goes back to that curation piece we just talked about, right? So now you have your target audience, you know what they need, you know how your training program can solve their problems. You should look at, do I have content already in place that I can use? And you match that, so you curate. Or, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I don't have content that matches here right now, so I actually have to create it from scratch. But again, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, Rather focus on curation than creation if you can. And then after those, you know, first couple of steps, uh, you would go into developing the actual program. I guess that's pretty straightforward. So you develop, uh, you can develop a prototype first to kind of, you know, test certain things, test that learning experience. So that usability aspect here is crucial. Getting some of the end users or the learners in to test that prototype and give you some feedback. And then you can go back and forth and reiterate and improve your learning experience before you actually push out that full course in the end. And then, of course, you know, we have to learn from our work. So once we released it to our bigger target audience and hundreds and thousands, whatnot, of learners actually went through the training, we got to gather feedback and see what worked and what didn't work. And the really cool thing about this learning experience design is that you don't just look at the data in the end, as I already mentioned earlier, but when we talk about that developing piece and the prototype and the test right? That's where you also already gather data to make improvements. But of course, you look at it at the end as well. And then, you know, after all of that, you ideally evolve, right? You you iterate the course as necessary or the training program and start from start over, not over, but, you know, kind of go back and make, make adjustments and, and improvements. So those would be the steps that uh, I would suggest to get started with. Okay. And, and the last thing you mentioned, the collecting and analyzing the data is crucial, right? And one thing that you mentioned earlier that really distinguishes this kind of, of learning and training, but say a little bit more about that. What kind of data ideally are you getting? Yeah, I know we're often limited because we put our content most of the time onto our LMSs and they have limited tracking and measuring options. Uh, But even then, one data point that's often overlooked in an LMS is date and time when someone actually accessed the training. For me, that's that's crucial because if I see that there's a trend that people always access training at a certain point in, in time, you know, after hours or uh, over lunch, then that tells me, oh, I should go out and push content at those times because these people are most aware and that's when they usually go out and look at content, right? Again, LMSs can be quite limiting, but if you have the opportunity to work with XAPI to get some additional data to see how your learners actually engage with the content. Where do they click? Where do they you know, drop in a video? So those are important data points. Other data points could be uh, more on the social learning side. So likes, shares, comments, you can look at that, downloads. How do they access the training? Is it either on a mobile or on a desktop, right? So those are some data points that are really crucial to look at. And if you have the opportunity in your organization to build a Google Analytics on top of your LMS, then, you know, of course, you get additional data that you can leverage and, and use to improve your training programs. Right. 
Now, the, the LMS part of this is also pretty important, right? It's the sort of the vehicle through which people are accessing this training. And especially if it's going to be on demand, something that people do more when they need it rather than showing up at a classroom, the delivery device really is important, right? Are there some types of LMS platforms or other kinds of learning platforms that you think are better than others for this kind of learning? Well, there's a whole bunch of uh, learning experience platforms out there now. And I think the major difference, apart from sometimes some additional tracking opportunities, is that the user experience is much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that, you know, ideally you have not more than two clicks to get to where you want to go in order to have a satisfied user or learner, right? So if you think about your traditional LMS, often there can be multiple clicks until you get to where you need to go. So yes, I believe there are platforms out there that are better than others for the learning experience uh, design or the learning experience in general. But I would also, you know, really challenge our listeners to think about other ways, right? Sometimes the, the training piece doesn't have to be tracked, right? Uh, of course, if we think about compliance, absolutely, that's a different story. But if we're really trying to be ruthlessly relevant and change our learners' behaviors, what can we do to help them? And does it have to be tracked? Okay, so not everything is necessarily a digital experience. Well, it could still be digital, but you just don't put it on your LMS, right? It could just sit on your intranet side instead. It could be a short video. Usually intranet sides also have some kind of, you know, uh, tracking mechanisms in the background if if you want to look into that. Or you could use some Yammer pages, again, more into that social learning aspect, right? But there's different ways. Or you could even deliver content through email. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if it's just short snippets, but it's really more about that, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily sit in the LMS, uh, always ask yourself the question, does it have to be tracked? Do I have to show these numbers somehow to my stakeholders? Or is it enough if I talk to my stakeholders about the change that we were able to get to based on the different learning experiences they went through? Mm -hmm. Okay. So lots going on here. Let's, Let's sum it up a little bit. What are two or three main things that you want listeners to take away from this podcast? I think the most important thing is start small, right? And focus on one or two areas that you feel very comfortable at, that you're like, okay, I, I can't change this and I don't uh, I don't feel bad about doing that. And look at other disciplines outside of L&D. I mentioned in my intro in the beginning that I had the pleasure of working a lot with marketing. So working with marketing and comms for me really makes a big difference in how I design and how I engage learners. So that is another takeaway for sure. And lastly, you know, just think about yourself. What's excites you, what engages you, and build that for your learners. Excellent. Well, Bianca, thank you so much for a really great discussion. Thank you. It was great being here. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.